Hi everyone, welcome back to our Indian cooking show. Um, today we are I'm cooking so <laughs> masala in five minutes. Just kidding, this is as an adult, we're having some technical difficulties where our YouTube link has jumped to cooking instead of um, Twilight. I think British or Star Radio just like finally had had enough with our intro and was like, you know what? We're not doing that anymore, we're sick of it. And we're gonna learn to cook. Um, today's topic is Harry Potter. Um, which I'm super excited for, mainly because I think Laura and I both are coming from very different places with um, very different experiences. Yeah. Um, Laura read them all when she was little um, and her family, like, really loved them. Is that right, Laura? Very much so. If any of my family is listening, and my, my brother and my mum listen a lot and we, like, we were big fans, like, like big, big fans. My brother's middle name is Harry. Like, I, like I can't make this up. <laughs> I love I actually really do love people who name their kids after like Harry Potter like the main character Harry Potter because you never mm. know because like Harry's such a normal name but it's like exactly. yeah his name's Harry so it's like being a sneaky fan I would have been Harry if I was a boy because my mom was very into the books like while she was pregnant with me but um actually fun story if my mom's listening I called Harry off as a girl sorry yeah I I agree I, I agree anyway but fun story, the cafe that J.K. Rowling wrote the books in, my mom always went to study in. So they probably like cross paths quite a few times. It's just just, just a nice idea. A bit funky. A bit cool. Yeah. Crazy. So Laura, how are we today? We are good. I'm very confused by that masala recipe. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> and I honestly don't understand why Rhythm played it. <laughs> like I don't- I don't understand why Star played it as a song. But, um, Classic AI just being like, yep, your wish is my command. There you no go. No problem. See, this is what you get when you listen live. If you listen to the Spotify, we cut this stuff out. Like, <laughs> yeah, It's all like neat and done. Um, <laughs> Other than that, good. We're definitely feeling the essay stress. All of our EN 2004 yes. friends yes, yes. will um, understand. I mean, that. I haven't started. I have an extension. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I've started like, on a extension. <laughs> I read all the essay questions three hours ago and oh. was like, oh, I don't want to do any of these. I mean, we, so, could, we could do a whole advice session, but I feel like. <laughs> yeah. We don't have much advice to offer. If anyone wants to give yeah. us advice, we would willingly take it. Yes, definitely, <laughs> definitely. Write in as an adult, underscore star. Tell us your essay advice. <laughs> but it's honestly just the like how to start the essay because that's where I go wrong. Once I start, I can like do it. Yeah. But it's just starting. I just go wrong with like the secondary reading. I always oh, end up in some absolute like rabbit hole where I'm like, oh my God, this is so interesting. And then I'm like, I can't put that in an essay because it's not even relevant. For King it's Lear, I can't remember if I sent this to you, but was it Lear or Richard? But I found a reading that was like, a, like a documentation of the first ever Shakespeare production which was whichever play it was in Australia and it was how it like just fell apart and it was like complete chaos and it was so interesting and I was like how can I tie this into my essay and I couldn't and it was really it was so interesting like they're reflecting like the loss of chaos like the rise of chaos in the play and I don't know it was so it was so good <laughs> oh god Australians doing it well as always but to yeah. your contribution no, to academ- academia. 
a contribution to academia is every way it can go wrong. Exactly. Which is essentially what we should have called this show. Yeah. Um, but we didn't. It was another way it can go wrong. So, Laura, what are you reading at the moment? Um, again, not very much. I reread The Importance of Being Earnest for my essay. Um, yeah. How are you still more prepared wondering? than I am? And yours is due next week and mine's due in two, de- in two days. Yeah, oh 48 hours. <laughs> I actually have to leave this this show and <laughs> go start work. It's maybe a solo <laughs> show. <laughs> a fun review. <laughs> Sorry, uh, what are you reading? Reread the importance of being earnest. I reread the importance of being earnest. I'm still reading some Little Women, getting through it slowly but surely. Yeah, besides that, not very much. The classics, running with the classics. Yeah, interesting. What about um, you? We still on? No, we finished Anakin. We, we finished Anna Kate ages ago. Catch up. Sorry. Um, I'm like, my fun read at the moment is More Than This by Patrick Ness, which I think I spoke about last time, um, where he's like dead and then not dead. He's very clearly dead. It's very odd. Um, but it's kind of cool. And I really like the way he writes. He makes me like enjoy reading male characters, which I think is a skill. <laughs> That's <is> so <laughs> impressive. <laughs> like, seriously. Like, he just doesn't, I don't know. It just makes like, He's just so much better at it than like John Green. Yeah. You always have like a fun read and an academic mm. read. I can't do that. Like when I'm busy oh. academically, my reading is gone. I don't read unless it's like, you know, when I had Midnight Sun, it was like, okay, this is a priority. Like this is, this is, it needs to finish now. And it, it and needs it's to still be seven months. Yeah, literally. Well, it was because I got to the end. It was like right as I was really busy with essays, and I was like, "I'm not I, like I'm sorry if I if I mess up this essay, I mess it up. This is a once in a lifetime thing. I've been dragging it out for seven months." Oh my god! But like, I have to say, I can't take full credit for always having like a fun read and an academic read because I've only started that this year because I've realized it makes me a lot happier. Um, because yeah. when I'm only doing academic reading, I just like life is hard. Um, no, I agree. But when I like make the time for reading, life is better. Mm. But I just normally so much better. And I find that. it's not even. I mean, this. I sound like such like a baby boomer, but like, if I just put my phone down before bed, I get like a solid hour of reading in. <laughs> I just feel so refreshed the next day. Just so refreshed. I feel so much better about myself. You know, it's about productivity that's and That's my least favorite piece of science ever because it's so <laughs> it works. It's so true, but oh, I don't want to do it. I don't want to. It's like fitness, though. It is. It's like theoretically, if you run every day, you will live longer. I'm like, but I don't care. It's like, and it's so annoying when it works. Like when you start exercising yep. and you stop going on your phone before bed and you feel better. Yep. And it's like, well, we'll drink like water. Like, I don't want to do that. Eight hours sleep. Like, I, no, I do know. do that. I mean, yeah, you can't be dragged out of bed. I did today. I like set my alarm for eight. I was like, I'm going to get up. I'm going to do my essay. Woke up at eleven thirty. What is going on? I've been waking up way earlier at home, but I still am getting like I'm. I'm currently in bed right now. Like I'm not gonna lie to you, pond <laughs> <on> listeners. <laughs> the benefits of radio. Yeah. Um, and my non-academic read is um, Dream on Monkey Mountain, which if you haven't read it, go out and grab a copy. It is the most boring thing you'll ever read in your life. Enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> what a Nobel <laughs> Prize. I'm like, you're kidding me, right? We're just handing these out to anyone now. 
watching like three weeks when you're doing your exam you'll be like this groundbreaking piece of literature <laughs> that's always how it goes for me I read the book once like anything that's academic I read it once and I'm like that was rubbish and then I get to the tutorial I'm like yeah it was all right and then I get to secondary reading I'm like oh my god why is not everyone talking about this this is the best thing in the world ever <laughs> For me, that was first year passage to India. Reading it, it was like oh, so yeah. boring. Like nothing was happening, yeah. you know. And then, then you get to the lectures and you're like, oh. And then you get to the tutorial and like you're oh, like, oh my God, this is actually like really, really good. <laughs> See, I really like the way you said that order because for me, it went, you get to the lectures, you're like, hey, something's going on here, but I'm bored. Then you get to the tutorial and you're like, something else is going on here and I'm less bored. <laughs> and then you read the book and you're like, hey, it all makes sense. <laughs> I never wish being on in a lecture with Laura upon anyone because she literally <laughs> she's either sitting there like super focused or she's like what are you doing what are you doing like what are you thinking like what like what are you and, like poking you and like this and, that. and it's like oh my god I'm just trying to concentrate like please go and sit at the other end of the room <laughs> the worst thing is that's not even like that's not even a university lecture like specific trait for me like my <laughs> my best friends used to like I cannot sit with you in an assembly because the whole time I'm just like sighing, wriggling, being like, whatever they're talking about, I'm bored. It's ridiculous. What's the point? ASOS and then you're on like fan fiction, like AO3 or something. And then you're on like Amazon and then you're on this and this and this. (laughs) But then you still got all the notes down and you still followed the lecture completely. I get out and I've got nothing. (laughs) Like I've literally done nothing. (laughs) Give a task to a busy person and they'll get it done. I mean, if my mum's listening, I really do appreciate my con- uh, my education. Like, <laughs> I'm there, I'm focused, I'm ready. <laughs> my brain just takes focus on like four other, other things simultaneously. <laughs> <laughs> that is very true, though. Anyways, so that's what we're reading. <laughs> Tangent. Moving on from criticizing my lecture absorbing habits. Um, Laura, I wanted to ask you because I know this has been a controversial topic for the two of us. Mm-hmm. I mean, yours is less controversial. Mine seems to be controversial to you. What house are you in? House? I am. Okay, this is actually interesting because I've always said Ravenclaw. I've always been in Ravenclaw, everything. But then as I've gotten older and become less academically engaged, <laughs> I think maybe I'm Hufflepuff. I was, I don't know. I, I don't know if that can really change that much. But definitely I Ravenclaw think... or Hufflepuff. Yeah. I don't know. I find the Ravenclaw thing really like kind of odd to be honest because I think everyone assumes that like you like if you're a smart person you're automatically in Ravenclaw Mm. but I Mm. always think I always like have to like reframe it for me and be like no Ravenclaw is curiosity yeah like if you want to engage with the world around you and like no matter like how bad you are at engaging with the world around you (laughs) like as long as you want to and you continue to do it and it's like where you find value in the world like yeah I don't know that's how I always think of it like eight at age eleven, I definitely would have been sourced into Ravenclaw. Yeah, that's also interesting because, like, do you ever get sorted and then three years change and like the sorting hat's like, well, I'm really sorry, I did not see that coming. That, that was my not. bad. Was, where did that come from? <laughs> you are an yeah. interesting one though, because so we met and you're adamant that you're a Hufflepuff. Yeah, you're not a Hufflepuff. You're a Slytherin. Like you are, you are deeply, deeply Slytherin. You're as Slytherin as you can get. See, I find this really interesting, this take, because I have, like, always, I don't know, maybe, 
Maybe it's the ADD, this Hufflepuff Um, But like when I was like at school, everyone was like 100% like, like no one even hesitated and was like, she's a Hufflepuff. And then I did the test and it was like, you're a Hufflepuff. But I find it interesting because like maybe it's like your surroundings can kind of bring out like different aspects of you. Like at uni, I don't have anyone to worry about really. Like <laughs> I don't have to be like loyal to my family or anything. So I can just be an absolute Slytherin and just like go for it, you know. But yeah. I just think you're so like driven and ambitious, like in a positive way. Like I wouldn't put you as like an e- <laughs> an evil little Slytherin in the corner. I honestly think that you're like very driven. You're very focused on like what you want and what you're going to get. And you're going to get that. Like, you know, you, you kind of get what you want. You go out to do something with like the intention of doing it and you do it. Like you're focused in that way. Not in other ways. In other ways, not so focused. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you're, I don't get Hufflepuff vibes from you at all. Like, I just don't. I just, I, I, I just want to share an anecdote with our audience about the first time Laura tried to express this. <laughs> it didn't come out well. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> it was a little offensive. Laura was like, no, I'm sorry. I just don't think you're a Hufflepuff because I think if someone was standing in your way, you just like wouldn't let them. Even if you they were didn't. your friend, you just wouldn't let them. <laughs> if I said you can't do this, you you would not care. You would just do it. I've seen wrong. you do this to people. <laughs> people have said to you, like, you can't take that subject or, like, you can't write on that book. And you go, I'm going to do it. Oh, <laughs> and then you do it. Yeah. Even if it doesn't suit your interests, you do it. <laughs> that is true, actually. The second someone says that you can't, I'm like, oh, now I guess I am. I didn't exactly. even want to before you said I couldn't, but now I'm going to. Yeah. Is that Slytherin? I don't know. Or is that just, like, willful stupidity I'm not sure that's definitely Slytherin like you're focused you're ambitious and you like you trust yourself like you trust your own gut like you like go for what you want to do Hufflepuffs are a lot more like community-minded and a lot more like like around like you know you you make decisions based on like what everyone else is gonna do and like once I think Laura's really excited to live with me next year I know (laughs) (laughs) I know you very well I have no community minded. I do what I want to do. Everyone else can suck it. I love you lots, but you, you also do. Like you, you, you are like. I'm sorry. I'm just gonna do what I need to do, and it's like, yeah, cool. Do what you need to do. That's fine. <laughs> I, I mean, I completely, I completely see where you're coming from. On like another level, I really do vibe with Hufflepuff, but like maybe I just vibed wrong. I don't I know. I get like the aesthetic from. of Hufflepuff you vibe with. I think it's just like. The idea of Hufflepuff that you, I don't think it's actually you. Yeah. I think I kind of just always see Hufflepuff as a very like light. Yeah. Person. <laughs> That's the vibe I got from you that you were like, I want to be, <laughs> this is again such a Slytherin thing. To be like, I want to be the house that everyone <laughs> likes and no one can find a fault with. I'm going to be in Hufflepuff. Oh, as if we don't have faults with Hufflepuff. Most guys have no backbones. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> I like that actually. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, we've just spent 17 minutes discussing what houses we're in. (laughs) Moving on, we're actually gonna we're gonna do a poll on Instagram. We're gonna because our listeners have listened to us for long enough, we hope. Um, and we're gonna see what they think for both of us Mm. now that we've given our arguments. I'm not I'm not settled. I actually would argue that there's a solid chance that you're Gryffindor. 
but I'm not. There's something about the red and gold. I just really don't want to have to wear it. (laughs) Oh no, it reminds me. I mean, this is way off topic, but Laura, you have this really lovely like red, like mauvey coloured jumper. You look really good in. It's not like a jumper, it's a top. It's like kind of purpley red. Oh, like the turtleneck one. Yeah. That you and you look me. really good. No, that's no, that's the purple one. Oh, right. No, it's like ready purple and it's like, anyway. I have no so idea. Jumping. Point is, you look good in the colour. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. Cool. Let's talk Harry Potter before we run out of time. Okay. God, you've got to take over. I'm just going to digress so, again. One of the... the more interesting things I think about Harry Potter is that obviously there's been a lot of controversy around J.K. Rowling. I think we should clarify from a very like straight off the mark because there probably will be some J.K. Rowling defense in here. Neither of us defend or have any interest in liking her as a person. Like what she has said about the trans community, what she said about so many people that have like looked up to her forever is just unforgivable. And as a person, We're very much not on her team. Yeah, as a person, I wish she did not write these books because, yeah, it's it's tricky because can can you separate her from them? That's a good question. Probably not. We're gonna try. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna um, discuss it. But what I love about the Harry Potter fandom, in general, is the way that after all of this has kind of happened, and a lot of these people who have looked up to J.K. Rowling like literally their whole lives have just taken control of of the narrative of the books and like they decide what's canon what's not they look at what jk rowling says and they're like "Mm, not really in the books but like this kind of well-developed idea of the marauders and like who they are and their time at school is more seen as more real as like what jk rowling says about dumbledore and snape and everyone um which i think is lovely i think it's really nice to see people love a world so much that they will like embrace it and boycott the author at the same time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not sure that I've ever really seen it done before. Yeah. To, to this extreme, to this, mm-hmm. where you can absolutely be a Harry Potter fan and still be like, I, I would really like to see J.K. Rowling, like, yeah. silenced and gone. And um, it's a big thing, like, when people sell merch to be like, this isn't affiliated mm-hmm. with J.K. Rowling, like, which is the opposite yeah. of most other fandoms. Yes. But they, they don't want to, like, take... The academic property away from their favorite authors so they'll pay like yeah. ridiculous amount like you see like taylor swift people pay ridiculous amounts of money for her merch just to support her but with jk rowling people are like if anything goes to her i'm not buying it i absolutely love the mentality of like buying merch from like the millionaire pop star or yeah. author or whatever like i think it's so Rather funny because like, i have the complete opposite. makes like <laughs> red bubble stickers yes i have the complete opposite instinct like all my yeah. like I really like Harry Styles, guys. And I have, like, a few pins from, like... <laughs> shut up, <laughs> you. I have, <laughs> I have a few pins from, like, um, of, like, quotes, like, lyrics from his songs and stuff. Mm. And I have bought them from, like, little Etsy shops and stuff. And I would never... I've never bought any... I mean, the only Harry merch I have is, like, a jumper, which yeah. doesn't fit me, but I still like it. Um, like, my instinct is always to, like, pay the little guys as long as... <laughs> and just Definitely. hope they don't end up getting sued for what they're making. I think as well, like, there's definitely that, but I think a lot of people, there's, like, an officiality, or is that even a word, yeah. to, like, to the, the creator's merch, and it's, like, yeah, you can have this this merch, but this is the official merch, and even though it looks worse, it's worse quality, <laughs> and twice the price, people will still buy it. But with that Harry Potter, so people true. It always it. looks worse. Like, I saw so many, like, you see it all the time where, like, new merch comes out for someone or something, 
and you like then see like all like the fandom being like this is how I would have done it and you're like yeah where can I buy that like that's, that's what I want. yeah <laughs> but I do I do love the idea because it's such like it's such a beautifully naive thing to be like no I want the money to go to my favorite author yeah I want them to know that I support them like I actually I really like that idea and I love that people have enough like hind foresight to know when they don't want to support the author yeah, and they're definitely. like no, no. I think as well no, there's just you. been a huge like rise in information available mm. and obviously just like the maturing of of a group of people that I think a lot of the time in the past these sort of age groups of, of fan, fandoms and stuff have kind of been I guess gaslit into being like guilted into buying more expensive stuff because the author's been like if you don't buy this you don't really support me and I'm the one who writes the books and I'm the one who does the work and it's like okay you wrote a book five years ago like that doesn't mean you're entitled to every single thing that comes out of that um yeah and I like that there's been enough growth that people can go actually you're wrong like you're the person that's wrong in this situation not me and like I guess it took way too much transphobia to get there but like it's nice that that realization has been made like it's kind of you know a silver lining I think to 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 look at the people that you you kind of look up to and idolize more critically and yeah, I don't absolutely. I don't know if anyone will ever get that same status that JK Rowling had for a while mm-hmm. and that's I think that's the other thing and again I'm drawing on like pop star scenarios because I think they're the closest to like what JK Rowling yeah, had in terms definitely. of followers um I think it's oh my god I've just lost my train of thought <laughs> I thought about Harry Styles for one second and now I'm just off um, <laughs> damn it I think the thing that's really like interesting about JK Rowling is that when they when they're so high up they fall so far JK Rowling was very much treated as like a god like the god of young adult like could do Mm -hmm. no wrong the worlds were impeccable like original um creative her characters were so real and then when she fell she fell hard yeah um and yeah it was 100% her own fault um but it's a really interesting thing where like you know like not that you or I would ever say anything like what she said, but if you or I like slip up, yeah, I mean, we've got seven listeners, we're fine, it's kind um, of a big deal. <laughs> but like, she slips up and it is so magnetized to everyone that 100% she's gonna fall so far. Oh, I lied, we have 10 listeners, guys, and that's <laughs> super exciting. Um, fantastic. How many are our blood relatives? Uh, we have two non blood relative listeners. Oh, <laughs> and I think it's Carolyn nice. and probably Rory. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> true fans. Um, <laughs> but I think it's really interesting this that idea of like just putting someone on a pedestal to the point that they have to come down from it. Um, yeah. And she did not have to come down so in such an awful way, as in yeah. like what she did didn't have to be so awful. Um, but I think she was so high up, she was going to get dropped somehow. And I think as well, the reason why she got in so much trouble, and you see, like, there, there's lots of authors that we've looked at that have said and done quite controversial things, but it's just no one cares that much, and no one cares about the person behind the book that much. Like, no one else, no one's picking up a book and being like, oh, that's J.K. Rowling. Like, no one's, no one's doing that for anyone else in the same way. Like, I don't, I don't think many people can look at a book and, like, immediately see the author's face and hear their voice and think about like the cultural impact in the same way as JK Rowling so yeah I, I, I don't think anyone else could have been critically 
like I think if other people have made those comments and said those things it, they wouldn't have been held accountable in the same way and I don't think they would have been um held like like hated as much as she is now hated yeah. as she should be I think when you're lower down it's a much more quiet ending for you yeah like it definitely. is just a oh we're done bye-bye yeah Whereas I think the interesting thing about J.K. Rowling is people loved her work so much and they so didn't want to let go of that work and that world. Yeah. But they they had to be this kind of, and in a sense it was this kind of like like cognitive like separation. What's the word? Yeah, definitely. Cognitive dissonance. Um, Dissonance. There had to be this kind of cognitive dissonance for them to separate this idea that J.K. Rowling and Harry Potter were interconnected like and unable to be disconnected, I think. Yeah. Um, and so I also applaud that, like the ability to think of Harry Potter and not um, immediately associated with J.K. Rowling is pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, I think the size of the fandom is what makes it um, able to work independently from her because there are so many people now, like there's probably a generation of kids who are going to grow up consuming as much Harry Potter and loving as much Harry Potter as I did, but they'll buy the books from the charity shop and they'll like maybe not go to studio tour and maybe like you know it's a different way of doing things I think um, I I don't know if it's I don't know if it's like a very British like thing like Harry Potter is very 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 big here and I know it's kind of big everywhere like it's it's huge in the in the states as well but like it's I can't like even convey how big of a thing it was in our childhood like when the last film came out it was, was just so phenomenal so I think there wasn't really a way, like there wasn't an option for it to be for it to be forgotten entirely. Like that wasn't gonna happen. Mm-hmm. So it was like, well, instead of fighting a battle, we're gonna lose. Why don't we just kind of like separate a little bit? And it worked. Like, you know, yeah. she I find that really interesting what you said about how big it was for your childhood. And I may have been out of the loop. But I feel like we were pretty young when that last film came out. We were. How old were we? <laughs> I was Oh, I would have maybe been 11. I was snuck into it. Yeah, I was going to say, you shouldn't have been in that cinema. <laughs> yeah, no, I was snuck in. But yeah. I, mean, so I read it from like a very early age. I think I read the first book when I was maybe like like five or six. And I and was that read like them. mum's influence or? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Oh, yeah. Um, and yeah. I read them, like I flew through them. I mean, at that age, I wasn't reading like one a day because they're, they're pretty difficult. <laughs> when you're like a day. <laughs> I don't know how old I was but like I read them pretty quick and like I was so in that world like that is the one mm. book that like for years the only thing that even came close was the Hunger Games but even then not for the same like length of time like yeah. I was I was in that it was something I mean, that's else. also the other thing is that magic of length um I mean yeah. it's a Another pop star reference. Um, it's kind of like Taylor Swift, how she had those albums that came out and came out and came out, and they all like yeah. kind of matched our age as we grew. I think. Yeah, definitely. Um, and that's kind of what happened. I don't think so much for you and me, but I definitely know that a few of my like family friends who are a little bit older than us. Yeah. Um, like they were eleven when Harry was eleven, and then they were twelve, exactly. and then they were thirteen, and then they were fourteen, and it's a yeah. really cool. And that like, I was talking to Carolyn about this yesterday because I wanted a second opinion because. You and I are so like um, dead opposites that I wanted like a middle, middle point of view. Um, and Karen was saying just like how well the film um, films did in choosing characters that were eleven. 
Yeah. Because, I mean, when we see the Hunger Games, like, they're like 22 acting out 16 year olds. Yeah. And it just doesn't, like, it works. But it because of, like, totally. And because of the length of Harry Potter, they needed to have that feeling that you were growing with these yeah. characters, um, which I think was really, really clever. Because you can see yourself up next to Harry. It was just nice. And that's what's so horrible <laughs> about J.K. Rowling is yeah. they were just really nice books. Like it was, they were really nice to read growing up. They were interesting. They were well built. The characters were cr- like incredible. Like it was well written and it was just good. And she just had to go and ruin it. Like for what? Yeah. Like, to, and to... I have a theory as to why she ruined it. I mean, not so much with, like, the turf stuff, but I have a theory as to, like, the reasoning, and I've already brought it up with you, but the reasoning for her, like, constant need to defend Harry Potter and to, like, when someone has an idea about it or a different take on it and she has to say, no, that's not what happened and that's Mm -hmm. not why that says that and, like, this isn't what's going on there. Um, And I actually think it comes down to a lack of confidence in her own work, which is really interesting. Mm -hmm. And, I mean... You know, maybe I'm just like reading into this way too deeply because, like, <laughs> how can you lack confidence in your own work when you've made millions of it and sold yeah. more copies than I think any book has ever sold? Um, but it it says like it speaks to me of just like overcompensation, mm-hmm. like just this repeated need to defend something she's done rather than letting people take it and run with it. And I feel like when you release a book, you are agreeing to that kind of like societal like contract. That yeah. when you give a book over to the world, the world then gets to do with it what it pleases. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we don't own it. Restrictions, like you know, they can't reproduce it for free and all that thing. But they're allowed to have their own ideas and opinions and beliefs and hopes and like um, side plots and everything. They're allowed to form worlds around these books. Mm-hmm. And I think J.K. Rowling was either hyper like protective of her work because it was such a um, like such a crutch, not a crutch for her, but like such like a solace for her um, that she didn't want to let anyone into her world or yeah. she was overcompensating due to like a lack of like confidence in it, I think, that she didn't trust that it could stand alone. I think as well, and I get the idea for me that I think she was really proud of these books and I think she she got I think I agree I think she got used to fighting for them she got used to fighting for herself and for like trying to prove that they're good books and trying to prove like you know like her name's JK Rowling because they didn't think a woman could sell books like that's that is kind of part of what happened to her and um I think that she didn't no one expected them to become what they became and no one expected people to expect like no one expected them to be held to the standard that they're held to so I think when she's writing them she's writing like just a a story for kids and like there's you know kind of a deeper meaning going on but it's not really that deep and then suddenly it's being analyzed and like kind of torn to shreds and people are being like well where's the representation and where's this and if this means this then like what's your what are you saying about this and I don't think she can stand that and I think she she wants to be like no they're good books like just let me have like these good like I wrote them they're good and she just can't let the criticism sit like she can't stand the idea of being criticized so she just has to like kind of push through it and force whatever she's thinking on it yeah which I think is such a shame because like you've said it ruins it and I mean the Harry Potter fan has been very clever and managed to not let it ruin it um which I think is fantastic but 
a lesser fandom, it would have ruined it. Um, I think as well, it, it annoys me because it's a very turfy thing to do. That when someone's saying, I wish that there would have been more representation, whether that's gay characters, whether that's, you know, characters that aren't white in a way that isn't just straight up offensive. Yeah. I think that instead of just being like, oh, yeah, you're right. I didn't even think of that. I was wrong. She has to be like, no, like there was. You just didn't see it and you just misunderstood Manny it. Was and black, you guys are just racist. Exactly. And it's, what? you know, we've said it before, but if it's not explicit representation, it's not representation. Yeah. But she just, she wanted to play that game of like, no, I was right. And you, you made the mistake. And you shoot, Hermione was black. And like, you don't know what you're talking about. And she just can't take the criticism because it's not just a criticism of her. It's not just JK Rowling, you messed up. These were written in the 90s. There was a big cultural problem. There still is. And she can't go, yeah, you're right. I didn't think of that. I wish that I'd had the foresight or I wish that I'd realized what I was doing. Like she can't admit her mistake. I think that's the other interesting thing with works that live past their generation. Yeah, definitely. Um, Like when we read, I mean, Laura and I, I don't know if you guys know, but we're English majors. Um, So we like read some like old timey books. Like really old. Um, (laughs) Like really old. (laughs) We Um, love to talk about Paradise Lost again. (laughs) Oh my God, we can if you want. (laughs) I'm trying to think of an example, but we've definitely read books. I think The Wasteland maybe was one of them. Um, where we read these books and we're like, oh God, that's racist. Yeah. And then was it Paris? No, not Paris. Was it The Wasteland where there was like something in it that there was a bit that just made me stop reading? I just like gave up. I, was like, I didn't read any of The Wasteland. I read the first page oh. and I was like, I'm going to hate I think this. You were missing on it. Yeah, I did. It didn't do very well. <laughs> <laughs> it was an exam to be fair that's I panicked amazing. <laughs> that's amazing um <laughs> I don't know I can't remember the book there was a book or a poem or something um and there's plenty of them um that have either like ableist language or racist language like homophobic yeah. language like the list is endless of like the things that come up in like older lit that just like wouldn't fly in a book published today um, and I think it's a really interesting question as to how we manage that. Do we throw the whole book out? Like, do we say, you know what, no? Or do we have to somehow understand that there's a way around it? Yeah. Um, because I was talking, I speak to a lot of, like, parents who come into the bookshop, and I always recommend Roald Dahl because I think he's brilliant. Um, and I loved all his books as a kid and Enid Blyton as well. And I get a lot of parents who say to me, like, oh, I can't read that. Like he's been he's been like cancelled or something. Like he um you know, he says things that aren't aren't like politically correct anymore. Mm-hmm. Um and I completely understand that and I'm like, but how are we meant to treat that? Are we meant to not let kids even know that these kinds of thought processes used to exist? Or are we better to read them to them and then say, Hey, this isn't okay? And I was talking to Carolyn last night again, um, and she said that she used to read The Little House on the Prairie. And that her mum, like before they started the book, was like, okay, so there's some language in here that where that isn't okay to use, and this is why it's not okay to use. Um, and it's not appropriate anymore, and it wasn't appropriate then, but it was written. And I just thought that's just such a better way to do it than like kind of just like covering up yeah. the past mistakes. And losing this great literature because of this these negative yeah. aspects of that literature. I think there's two aspects to it as well that 
you know, first of all, if you raise a child, making them completely unaware, especially like coming from kind of a white perspective here, if you raise a white child, making them unaware of the privilege they hold, and then they go out and meet people who are saying like, you, you have a privilege and you have this and this and this, they're going to go, screw you, no, I don't, like stop. And like, yes. they're not going to listen because they're not going to see themselves as having that privilege. And I think when you look at literature and explain like, this is why this is wrong and this is where this comes from and this is the privilege that you have because this represents you and this, this is written for you and that doesn't exist for so many people, it kind of introduces them to the fact that actually life is going to be kinder to them and you have to be aware of that and you have to like be ready to to combat that and to you know yeah, help work it. against it yeah. but I also agree that like in the same way that once a book is published it doesn't just belong to the author and in the same way once a book is published that's just a book and it's different when the author's alive and profiting from it and making money out of buying books like that that is a different situation yeah but when an author's been dead for like you know 20 years um, not all dead. I think so. I'm not going to lie to you. I don't know. <laughs> I think I, I'm guessing. That's, but, yeah. okay. That's fine. Moving on. <laughs> I'm, <all laughs> I'm right. not grieving. It's fine. <laughs> no, it's okay. Uh, but I think, you know, their book isn't necessarily benefiting them, but it also, you know, as it exists in and of itself, is it really a reflection of them anymore? Like when it's culturally come to mean so much more in, in a different way. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, I think that's a really good point. Also, um, in the sorry, I just had another thought. In the case of J.K. Rowling, we were just going to say like I've, we've written this in our notes, but we, you know, surprisingly, the show has gone off the notes. <laughs> I don't know if you can tell. It never happens. <laughs> but um, her book, whether she likes it or not, is it kind of lends itself to things that she publicly opposes you know it's about a child yeah. who grew up literally in the closet under the stairs forgotten and pushed to the side you know whether she likes it or not her book might resonate with trans with trans kids yeah even though she doesn't really want it to I don't know that's an interesting I, th- I think that's really interesting and I think it is that like what you were saying I mean you'll do a better job of explaining this but I'm gonna set you up for it um <laughs> What you were saying about um, this idea of tapping into these emotions and finding these emotions really alluring, like this emotion of like being locked out of society, being, um, oh, what's the word when you're like, being like shunned by your family, like all these feelings of not belonging, being ostracized. um, And I think it's how alluring those emotions were. And I think in an interesting way, I think it's very possible that J.K. Rowling felt those emotions at the time when mm-hmm. she was writing um definitely like especially because she was she was mentally ill and she probably felt quite separate from the world she was living in um mm-hmm. that's obviously speculation but and so I think it's that idea of finding these emotions alluring and then like you said not being able to see it in real life where those emotions are actually at their strongest in minorities yeah 100 percent. I think I mean JK Rowling's not alone in this we talk, I can't remember what episode we talked about it in but I think it's really, really common for straight authors, especially with kind of gay storylines. But I mean, Definitely. it happens for, for a lot of different minorities. But I think it's really common for straight authors to be like, you know, really touched by the idea of a coming out story and really touched by the idea of you coming from a homophobic family and like the, the power of the emotion behind that, but not wanting to represent those people and not wanting the controversy that comes with that or not agreeing with it in the case of JK Rowling, you know 
that's definitely yeah. worse. Just using it as a book you can read and then put away and not have to think anymore about. Yeah. And something that stays yeah. in fiction. That's not a fictional yes. experience for a yes. lot of people. That's, yes. Um, there was the Jacqueline Wilson episode we talked about that. Not that Jacqueline Wilson did that. Very clearly for everyone, Jacqueline Wilson did not do that. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, I think that's really interesting. But I think this is also where you and I started to kind of reach a little bit of like a, cr- not a crossroads, like a head-on collision kind of thing. Yeah. Um, because you said, well, Jacqueline Wilson wrote, uh, Jacqueline, J.K. <laughs> Rowling. You cannot get those people mixed up. <laughs> oh, my God. They're very different figures. <laughs> um, J.K. Rowling, you said that she wrote a book about justice and fighting, like, um, a corrupt government and yeah. these all and this idea of like fighting against someone who believes in the superior race, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and I was like, that's really interesting, and I've never thought of that because I feel like that was, in a sense, coincidental for her. I don't. Like, I'm not sure was. that was the novel she was trying to write. I don't think you're. I think you're giving her too much credit. <laughs> I think she can be quite arrogant a lot of the time and I think when she was writing this book as much as she didn't expect for it to be dissected and the way it's dissected I think she was like I'm going to write a book that is above and beyond it's going to be an allegory for the holocaust it's going to be this and this and this and I think she absolutely wanted to write a book that was peddling what she believed to be like very progressive social ideas mm. but the issue is she's not a very progressive socially she's not a very socially progressive person so when those socially progressive ideas manifested in the children that she kind of raised with her books, she was like, whoa, 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 like, you're, you're what? Like, that's, that's, not, that's not what I believe in. And yeah. that really backfired. Yeah, that's I mean, I get that. And I do understand what you mean by the arrogance of her, that idea that she is writing an elite text with all these secrets that little kids won't understand, but she yeah. knows. And she knows yeah. that she wrote a smart book exactly um and i hate that by the way that's just yeah, like, jesus christ um, like for 10 year olds like and i also the other thing i really really hate about this and we've i think we've spoken about this in previous episodes but it talks down to kids to mm-hmm. assume they won't get that is just ridiculous like yeah. i mean maybe they won't get it in the sense that they go hey that's the holocaust but yeah. they still are completely capable of understanding these ideas of thinking that someone is lesser than someone else because of their family or because of something. Um, and I think it I think it really lets down the children's genre when you assume that they won't understand yeah. bigger concepts. And I think that that's what backfired on J.K. Rowling is that she wrote this book and in her mind she was like, this is about like race and this is about this and this and whatever. But when it was read by a younger generation, who are you know growing up in, a, in an age where there's a lot of there's a, there's a much bigger discourse around LGBT mm. issues they applied it to that too and they were like no this is what you're talking about this is what you're defending these are the ideas that you're behind and she was like whoa, whoa that's not me like that's not what I like he gave them all the ideas and the tools behind this book uh, behind this idea in the book and she didn't like that it could be applied to other things and she didn't like that her audience was kind of smart enough to do that yeah absolutely yeah it's it's almost like in a weird way it's frankenstein this idea of creating something 
And then, oh yeah, okay, I clearly have to explain this. Yes. And that's fine. Um, I can do it. Laura's giving me really weird looks through like FaceTime. She's like, where are you going? No idea. Um, We'll find out. Um, It's an interesting way of this idea of Frankenstein, of creating something that you should be able to completely control and that is lesser than you. And then realising that you can't control it and that it is actually morally superior to you as a person. Yep, yep. And that you are not capable of, not only like you're not capable of controlling it, but you're not capable of being like a custodian, a guardian of what you've created. Yeah. And that's what Um, annoys J.K. Rowling more than anything because in her mind she should be in control of everything and she's not. And in her mind she knows what's best for the books and she doesn't. Like it it winds her up. I kind of love it but i don't like what it's come from (laughs) yeah no i agree um but on all on top of all of that i mean we did just talk for like 17 minutes about which houses we were in um and i think it is i think it's a very easy road to take of well jk rowling sucks so harry potter sucks yeah um but i think it's 100 percent something you have to acknowledge is like how brilliant they were like the characters yeah. in it were amazing. Like good every books. character, yes, they were good books. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I didn't love them as much as a lot of people did, but I read them in a very like spaced out fashion. Like I read the first one yeah. when I was like seven, and then I finished the last one when I was eighteen. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was I had a very weird child's interaction with the first three but then I had to reread the first three when I was 15 I couldn't remember them um so I had a very odd like interaction with them all but I would 100% agree they were good books and like I didn't necessarily vibe with like everything about them but still I still like remember just how good that final book was it was amazing Mm -hmm. um and I like barely like I I like (laughs) I think I've told you this before but I taught kids at summer camp and I had a class called um, Weasley's Winter Woolies, the name of which I stole from Timbertop and then credited as my own, um, where I taught these kids how to knit. And then once they, like, knew how to knit, I would just sit there and read them Harry Potter and they'd, like, come up to me and be like, I made a mistake. And I'd be like, okay, we'll pause Harry Potter for a second. Um, and while I was reading them, I used to, like, go to class and be like, guys, I um, accidentally read ahead last night because I hadn't read that final book. But all my kids had, they'd all read it. And I was like, guys, I'm really sorry. I read three more chapters last night. And they were all like, and I was like, we can continue from where we were. And they were like, oh, no, we know the story. Let's go. Like, jump ahead. ahead. Like, start from where you're up to. I start by, I think that last book is the reason why the books are so good. Because she could have been building up to nothing. But it was good. Yeah. And, yeah, I I think that's really true. I think the final book redeemed it a lot for me. Um, and I think maybe it was that enjoyment of reading it to like younger kids and seeing how they interact yeah. with it and how much they love it. Um, and I loved like I'd like finish class and as they're walking out, you'd hear him being like, "No, Hermione would never do that." And these are like eight year olds. Like, don't be like that's ridiculous. I think and I just well, like yeah, it was amazing. Like I think she's I think her writing. I'm not gonna say she's given a hard time because I, I don't really care that much about her. But like I think her writing is often given a really hard time held to a standard that is like really difficult and I think what she's I think it's often not appreciated like how impressive what she wrote was in terms of the world building and like you know people are very quick to point out you know this and this and this and like this inconsistency and this um 
but you know there's so few and far between and, like I'm not saying yeah. we shouldn't do that because it's fun and like it's just a book yeah. like it, it's allowed to have inconsistencies it's allowed to have plot holes but I think that's the thing they forget when they are searching for those plot holes is that it's yeah. not only allowed to but kind of like books generally have yeah. a plot hole um like it's an accepted form of the genre like yeah exactly genre, like, es- art form. especially a seven book like series there's no way yeah. you're it's, like if it's completely consistent for what like <laughs> I mean a seven book series is one thing a seven book fantasy series yes to not have a plot hole like is just like I don't think anyone has ever done it you, um, you won't finish it like it, that I takes think, more than a lifetime <laughs> yes and I think it attests to like the greatness of the work the maybe four or five plot holes yeah that people found are so like infuriating to them mm-hmm. because like I think it says just how well written the rest of the plot was yeah. that they've got, like, like they've got five things from seven books that they're like mm-hmm. I didn't like that I think it's well um, like with characters people get really wound up and they're like why would this background character do this one thing in book three and it's like I'm sorry to tell you like it probably just wasn't thought about that much but for them it feels so real that they're like that doesn't make sense like and like even when there's like a plot hole or there's an inconsistency it still doesn't shatter the realism of it which is very yeah. impressive yeah and you see them come up with like I think that's the other thing I really in general love about plot holes in books because sometimes if you think hard enough about it and if you've got a dedicated enough fan base, oh, it is not a plot hole. Yeah. Um, I don't have an example right now, but um, there's definitely like books where like the, the thing that just didn't quite make sense on a whole like love affair between these two characters yeah. or like actually did you know that her parents are dead and she doesn't realise it yet and like, you know, there's all these different outcomes that it allows for and it. I think it's really beautiful how like a plot hole can create an opportunity for like creativity within the readers and the fandom. I think that's really lovely. And I think that is a big part of why the books have so much realism is the fandom is because it's Mm -hmm. been so like just people have been so dedicated to it and they've made a community where it feels real. Like you can go on online forums and act like you're in Hogwarts and it feels like you are, you know, it's really transferred into real life beyond the books Mm -hmm. and the films. I think the other thing that I think is just insane to me, like blows my mind as someone who never really engaged with Harry Potter or anything, as in like, you know, didn't join the fandom like I do most things. Um, I think it's amazing that every fandom I have ever been in, I can type into the search bar for whatever fan fiction like website I'm on and be like, Harry Potter AU. Yeah. Because it's just so good. They're all in Hogwarts and they're doing magic. Like that's that's so good. Like that that's just a really good One Direction one. I'm just saying. I remember confusing because I got like into like the third, like third fourth page of the thing and was like, this isn't One Direction. This is just Harry. And then I was like, oh, (laughs) Harry Styles. Never mind. I'm I'm there. (laughs) Um, Other things. The amount of things that have come from Harry Potter fan fiction is incredible. Like, Mortal Instruments. Harry Potter fan fiction. Just mental. Um, I mean, also the amount of things that have been, like, sued. Yes. (laughs) The amount of work that have gone sued for being a little too similar. Um, (laughs) But isn't there a um, Marauders... um, 
I just got a text from my friend Jemima saying, Harry Potter AUs are so good. And I actually would agree. I almost enjoy the Harry Potter AUs more than I enjoy Harry Potter. <laughs> um, but isn't there like a Marauders fanfic that is like the like canon? I mean, yeah. it's not canon, but has become like almost surpassed the canon of the books. I can't remember There's, like one. To it. Yeah. Um, what's it called? My friend George would know. It's like something. Ah, oh, it's like so well known, and it's so exciting. I've seen people like having bound versions of it and it's yeah. about the marauders times it's like something with the boy you imagine writing something that is like just a hundred percent accepted as canon you know, yeah kind of. like i find it have its own subsection on wattpad that's that's yeah. insane like yeah. that's that's crazy i just i think the thing with harry potter is yeah jk rowling sucks no doubt about it yeah but i think there's something inherently like so beautifully human about the fact that the author can suck but the work is too good to let go of and instead just gets built into a new realm. I think that's yeah. really, I just think that's just so like human persistence at its finest. It's Slytherin. It is Slytherin. Oh, my God. <laughs> Slytherin <laughs> is my fan fiction. <laughs> yes. I can't Wait, find a fan fiction. That's so annoying. Yeah, it's okay. <sighs> I'll That's find it. Like a link in the in the link tree. <laughs> yes. Oh, <laughs> for anyone who wants to read it, I haven't read it. I'd actually kind of like to, because everyone yeah. like I think the Marauders, which is I think that's also like a funny thing, is that the Marauders like are a lot of people's favorite characters. Yeah. Despite like, like, if you like read that, like favorite character, he's not in the books. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I was gonna say. Like, because I read them without like really like a knowledge of the fandom in that like to that extent and like when I got to the Marauders I was just like I don't get it <laughs> like I don't I don't understand how this spawned an entire um kind of new canon or like I don't know it was really interesting um, I think it's part I mean we've got like two minutes left but I think part of it, I, know. <laughs> I think part of it is kind of the way they, they were so doomed that like mm -hmm. it's really nice the idea of their kind of happy childhood like a childhood untouched by Voldemort that's like in the 70s they're just having fun at Hogwarts and but like you know it's kind of tragic because you know Wormtail's going to betray them James is going to die Sirius is going to prison Remus is going to become a werewolf like none of them are going to end up well but like they had a fun time while they were at Hogwarts so it's fine what vibes is it giving you, giving you Laura I've got a very specific genre in mind I'm, I'm not following Oh, <laughs> um, yeah! I, I'll soar above the Aryan Mount. <laughs> yeah, I just want the muses to help. Um, I think that's really interesting as well. Really quickly, because it's the opposite of what happens to the kids. Like the kids have this: yeah. you're going to have a really, really tough, traumatic childhood, and then you're going to be fine. You're going to go and marry each other, and you're going to have babies. It's going to be great. I think that's um, why they love it because it's like, well, yeah. we know what happens in this universe. Let's do it in, yeah. in the opposite one. And like, that's a canon part of the story. Like, that's so, that's so exciting. Okay, I already know the answer, but we have to ask. We are obligated. Would you pass it on? Yes, I would. But I, I would be careful to prove it. <laughs> yeah, prove it. <laughs> I mean, even if I didn't, my mother would. So, like, I wouldn't really have a choice. Yeah. It's like, I would be careful. Twilight. I wouldn't be buying the book secondhand and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. What yeah. about you? Um, no. 
I know that's super controversial and I have like less than a minute to explain why. Um, I wouldn't pass it on because they weren't actually my favourite and I don't think that I'm the right person to pass it on. Oh, like right. I think, I don't think I would make them love it. Um, and I think they'd come here and be like, I'm not really. That's one that I'm you, passing on to them for you. Yeah. If you want to give it to them, that's fine. But I think they'd come to me and be like, oh, my God, this bit's so good. And I'd be like, yeah, that's <laughs> nice. Have you read Septimus Heap? Because that's really <laughs> Like, I think I'd just be constantly, like, suggesting, like, better options, um, exactly. which I know don't come for me. I understand some people don't think there's any better options. That's fine. That's your prerogative. Um, but, yeah, I'm just not sure that passing something on that you don't love wholeheartedly is allows, like, the person you pass it on to to have the best experience. Okay. I get that. Yeah. So, no, I wouldn't pass it on. It wasn't, like, I might just pass on the last book, but then that wouldn't make much sense. I also think it's a massive time commitment. I think whether you do it or not, someone else will do it for you. Yeah, that's true. I wonder. I don't know. We'll see. All right. We're going to have to go. Lovely long chat. Love Um, you all. Thanks for listening. Love you all. Have a good week. Hopefully next week we will both have handed in our English essays. Fingers crossed. (laughs) Bye-bye. I mean, we will have, whether they're good. Who knows? Bye. When I was young, I should have known better, and I can't feel no more. And you don't feel nothing Since the flood Oh, oh, feel me Heaven help a fool Who falls in love Love